0: Lifestyle Matters, it's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmali, my co-host here, filling in for Dave Popwich. Liana Watchniak. Liana Watchniak, thank you for coming in. This is going to be a really good show because we're going to pound the table. I'm going to actually pound the table and give some opportunity for people to make some serious money going forward.
1: And it's not just about stocks, which is not that common to hear you talk about. That's
0: right. So it's outside of my normal wheelhouse, Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: but I'm pounding the table Mm -hmm. on an opportunity to make money. You know who else has been making money? More and more Canadians, more jobs out there, an Mm -hmm. increase in jobs. We're going to talk about jobs right in in a minute, but we've got a good show today all about the fixed income world, interest rates. Are we cutting? Are we staying the same? Where's that opportunity to make some big money? And it's not in the stock market. We're going to talk about outside the stock market. So it's going to be a good show today, uh, Leanna. Um, the job market has come, uh, the numbers in Canada came in. Let me just give you some overall headline numbers so we can have some context to this conversation. 37,000 job increase for the month of January. Unemployment rate fell, fell to 5.7. We were expecting a, a tick up in unemployment rate. It went down. When you break through the headline information, you kind of get to the idea that most of it was part-time jobs, not full-time. A lot of it was public service employees, not private jobs. So it's not like it's all rosy. But here I think there's something I have to think about. No matter what the employment numbers are, or who's being employed, people are being employed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think there's a problem, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this, because more and more Canadians, as they go through retirement, at some point in that journey... They have the big debate, should I buy or sell when it comes to property real estate? Especially in this country, should I downsize, right size? Should I buy a vacation property? Should I buy a rental property and all this? Stuff? So real estate, keep that in the background because I think that's going to be a big concern. If more people are employed, more people are making more money, wages have gone up, generally speaking. That means there's more demand.
1: Mm-hmm. We have a problem. There is a problem, and that problem has looked like sticky inflation for the last couple of years. But here's the other part of that problem. We also have a housing issue in this country. There aren't enough properties for everyone to buy. We're getting into a situation here where there is a, let's call it a bit of a fight between people who are wanting to buy property and the people who hold property because it's a good time to sell, we were talking about this before the show, it's a great time to sell your property in a lot of cases. Your property value has probably increased depending on where you are in the country, the market, and so on. But, and you'll probably find buyers, but if that is your primary residence and you need somewhere to live, what's the next step? You may be in good shape from a sales perspective, but what about when it comes to being a buyer?
0: And so what happens When you're in this predicament of, I want to sell, but there's nothing out there that I can buy or it's going to be harder for me to buy, what ends up happening?
1: So at that point, either your cost goes up or you don't end up buying, you end up back in the rental market, in which case you're subject to somebody else's mortgage and what their payments that they have on their property. And then you're looking to get into a market at a higher cost than you were initially expecting, if you're retired in particular, that can be an issue that that could have a large impact on your budget.
0: Another thing that also happens is that if you own a home and you want to have a change, you may not make that change because the switch is going to be difficult. The Mm -hmm. sale of yours and the purchase of a new one, it may not work out for you. And now you're aging in, in that home That maybe you thought you weren't doing, or maybe you don't want to be in that home, or maybe you don't want to have that that large of a property and you want to downsize and so on and so forth. Get ready for the glut. So this is where I get kind of frustrated. Federal government came out and said, we need 3.5 million homes by 2030 to make the housing market, quote unquote, affordable. Our team at the economic side comes back and says, oh, nay, nay, it's 5 million.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You're about 1.5 million off federal government, okay they didn't say that I said that, <laughs> okay. Um, so they're off by almost fifty percent.
1: That's quite short
0: yeah they they have not taken into account the non-permanent residents that come to this country that absorb housing. I don't care if it's rental or purchase. it's It's absorbing housing, which makes it difficult if you're not going to build. And so the thought process of the federal government saying we got to build more houses becomes the nightmare of the province and the municipality because they're the ones who grant these types of building permits. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who have to make all the infrastructure work. Mm-hmm. They are the ones that have to deal with the influx of people coming into their local markets and causing disruption at a pace that no one can really predict until after it's done.
1: Exactly.
0: So now you're entering in this world of retirement and you're like, okay, Ms. Advisor. Okay, Ms. Financial Planner. I'm just going to dispose of my property in five years, buy a smaller home or buy a different home, put that in the financial plan. That's part of my my goal and objective.
1: And all of a sudden that option might not be open to you. Correct. So then what happens is the question.
0: Do, Do you have a contingency plan given today's economics? It's nice to think it's going to happen, the amount of clients that we have spoken to that said, I'm going to ch- sell my house and just buy a smaller home, in the back of their mind, they've always said, it'll be cheaper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we mm-hmm. know from experience, doing this a hundreds of times with our clients, it's, rarely is it.
1: Yeah, it's very often not cheaper. <laughs> That's that is, I would say that is not an expectation that you can have right now when you're looking at the housing market. When, when you're planning for your retirement, it's not necessarily something that you can expect. Oh, I'm just going to downsize. I don't need a house that big anymore. Even if I'm downsizing from a house to a condo. Well, maybe I want an extra bedroom so that my kids can come stay with me or something else. You tack on a few of those things and all of a sudden that condo, which is way smaller than your house was, is almost the same price as your house will sell for. Yeah. So... I think you're right. It's definitely a contingency that needs to be planned for as part of your retirement. All of a sudden, downsizing and living off of whatever excess you might have is not necessarily the right option.
0: Okay, And let's look at the math on this one. Because mm-hmm. we've got we've got a couple minutes before we have to go to commercial breaks. I want people to understand why I bring this up and the math behind it. Let's say you're 65 years of age. You plan to sell your house in the next five years to downsize or right size. We'll, we'll, we won't worry about the, the math on those two. The federal government says that we need to have three and a half million, we say five million new homes built by 2030 in order to make it affordable and and meet the demand. That's seven years from now. We're saying it's not going to happen at three and a half million. It has to be more. You have to extend time. So now we're saying 10 years. And let's say all the municipalities, and I'm just making a guess here, are not as efficient as the public would like them to be. Let's add another couple of years on there, just to, just just for fun. Now we're 12 years out. A 65-year-old, until they're 77, may not have that situation rectified. When you build a retirement plan, who's building for their late 80s? You're actually, your vision is not that far out. Mm-hmm. So what you expect to do may not happen. And with this type of labor report that we have, with this type of housing issues that we have, it is going to be challenging for people to plan to sell as part of the feed to their retirement. Because, you know, we all say that we've got our home, so our, our financial nest egg is safe. Not so true. And the second part of this is it's going to be even more cost than you expected if you needed to make that move. So you got to figure that into your plan. So anybody thinking that they're going to sell in the next five years is going to be easy and low risk? No, nope, I disagree.
1: Definitely something you need to consider with a plan with your advisor.
0: So they've got this news today. Give me two things that, that the individual or the couple need to do if they're thinking about a change in their home and we have this 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 glut that we have.
1: I would say two things are make sure you talk to your advisor, have a plan and see what happens if that goes ahead and if you can actually realistically expect that. And the second thing is, if it doesn't go that way, what's your plan? Have a contingency set out.
0: When you build a portfolio, there's a lot of work that goes into building a portfolio. And if you're a money manager, you have to know your strengths and you have to know who's also strong out there. And sometimes you need to work uh, with partners who come into play where they can add value to the overall either risk or and or return. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and one partner that we've worked closely with is Algonquin Capital. Um, This team has got a unique way of looking at the world. They have a unique way of looking at investing, especially in fixed income. And so we wanted to bring them on because we want to talk about the economy here in Canada. Where's the opportunities? What's the risks out there? Um, and, and I think we should, we should give them some time to kind of explain their side of the story. Mm-hmm. Cause I think a lot of people will get some benefit out of it,
1: mm-hmm. particularly with all of the interest rate questions going on today. Let's bring in somebody who is an expert on credit and all things interest rate.
0: So we've got Raj Tandon, founding partner of Algonquin Capital. Raj, thank you for joining us
2: today. Thank you for having me.
0: Okay. Let's kind of quickly go through Algonquin Capital and where, what's your wheelhouse and why? You are um, one of the top in the game right now.
2: So I guess the genesis of our firm is really my co-founders and I, and our partners are all uh, ex-bank traders uh, from the bond trading desks. And really the opportunity that we saw was to take the strategies and the methods we were using in the banks for decades and to take them and create products for retail investors. And really bring the advantages of the bank trading, institutional trading style to retail and really to really engineer uh, better fixed income solutions for them.
0: And so one thing I think people need to understand is that you do it differently. When you t- th- think about typical bond managers that are out there, um, they'll they'll buy bonds in, based upon their investment policy uh, however, they're limited in some of their opportunities of what they can and cannot do, primarily short and long, looking at different different mechanisms. There's an opportunity that, or a mechanism, a strategy that you can use that the lion's share of your peers in the bond market can't do. What's what's so unique about Algonquin Capital in that case?
2: Yeah. So what we've really done is taken the structure that is now available in Canada in the mutual fund format and really engineered ourselves some advantages. So the first one being, we kind of get a bit of a head start by enhancing the yield on a bond portfolio. So we do that um, rather than to your point, the lion's share of long only managers or traditional managers, when they want to give an investor more yield, um, they juice their portfolios with lower quality assets. So be it high yield, be it emerging markets, or even some esoteric kind of private or structured products. We have the advantage in our structure to enhance that yield through adding more high quality. So adding kind of more big six banks to the portfolio and using that kind of structure to enhance the yield where we feel through quality, you're getting more security, more liquidity and more transparency. And then the other really big advantage we have is we have more tools in which to manage our interest rate risk. So as a traditional bond manager, it becomes quite tricky in that you have to move a lot of bonds back and forth in order to manage your interest rate exposure. Whereas we can use tools such as futures in our uh, portfolios to manage that exposure. So, for example, in 2022, when interest rate hikes were happening, we were able to significantly reduce our exposure. And then um, last year, we were able to actually take advantage of the volatility in the market to kind of create excess returns for our investors. So, so Liana, you've been on a,
0: a numerous amount of investment committee meetings that we've had Um, And we've always said, let's look at the research and some research that we go through is some of the really smart people that we talk to, such as Algonquin Capital, Mm and they talk about the economy. Mm -hmm. What is it that you think that that generally fixed income and primarily Algonquin Capital has as an edge uh, versus the other forms of research that we have that would require them to be one of the key pieces of information that we look at when we're looking at our portfolios?
1: Well, I think one of the things is you have a bit of a specialty in the credit area. That's one of the things that we've talked about before. Um, But I'm actually wondering, Raj, if you could maybe comment because you mentioned the fixed income side and the interest rate risk that you're trying to mitigate through your portfolios. So tell us a little bit about how that interest rate risk has impacted you and where you see interest rates going for the next year?
2: Yeah well as, as mentioned, for most bond funds, the kind of very aggressive probably the most aggressive hiking cycle we've seen in decades was you know very difficult, right that you know naturally bonds are very sensitive to interest rate moves. So that big move higher that we had was you know as a lot of investors saw created some pretty bad returns in the fixed income market. So we were able to mitigate that by reducing our overall exposure. But as you alluded to now that we kind of feel the market is quite comfortable and we're quite comfortable that we've seen the last of the interest rate hikes and there's no more left in the tank for the central banks. Now the focus has kind of shifted to interest rate cuts and the timing and pace of those that are to come. So actually now we've actually been adding some more interest rate exposure to our portfolios in order to capture the upside once essential banks do start their cutting process.
0: So Raj, you talk about, uh, we've pretty much tapped out on interest rate increases. There's cuts coming down uh, downstream. Um, you have to have an economic view. So why don't we start there? What's the economic view that you see with, through your lens And then if if you want to add to it, what do you expect uh, or when do you expect these rate cuts to happen in Canada? And let's even throw U.S. in there as well.
2: Well, I think right now the base case view is, you know, let's call it the soft landing where the, you know, we might see some slowdown. You know, you might even get and headlines might, you know, start pointing to negative GDP prints and throwing out the scary recession word. But really, to me, you know, if the economy slows to positive 0.1 or negative 0.1, you know, that's kind of immaterial from the market perspective. But uh, we do kind of expect there to be some, you know, slowdown. And with that, you know, we're anticipating inflation to start coming down. Um, But we don't anticipate, you know, our base case is not something very horrible to be happening in, in the world. But, you know, we should see some you know, disruption in the economy. But uh, in terms of the pace and timing of the cuts um, right now uh, in Canada, the market is kind of priced in or expecting cuts to start in the summer, kind of jockeying back and forth between June and July and with around three cuts being delivered this year. So we're kind of, we kind of jockey between three and four today would be closer to three. In the, S- the states, which you might find kind of interesting, is they actually have the rate cuts, the expectation of the market today, um, starting a little earlier. So they're kind of expected to start in May or June, and to deliver between four and five this year. And that might seem odd, because you know we all know Canada and our economy here is more interest rate sensitive, given our mortgage cycles five years versus theirs, which can be 30, and also the fact that um, our households, our consumers are more indebted. But we must remember two things. One, they are starting from a higher level in the States. In Canada, the overnight rate is five. There, it's five and a quarter to five and a half. And also that the Federal Reserve has a dual mandate to for inflation and employment, whereas in Canada, the mandate is just Inflation. But right now, we do kind of feel that um, that kind of dichotomy might be a little bit too big in terms of, you know, the Bank of Canada might be forced to cut a little bit more aggressively than what the market is expecting today. It's been probably d- over a decade, maybe
0: even two, since I've said get ready for bonds to be attractive, maybe even better than stocks. And Raj, you and I have had. Numerous conversation about that. We're joined with Raj Tandon, founding partner of Algonquin Capital, a a team that we work closely with. I call them fixed income experts out there. Uh, We've talked about the opportunities. I think you can let it all out now. There there is some opportunity, and I'm sitting up, as you can see this, I'm excited because there's a growth side of this that people are, are, are missing out on, I think. What, in your words, tell us where the opportunities lie in fixed income? And maybe I'll even throw this at you why you think it might even be better than stocks.
2: Um, yeah. So today, I think the kind of the most juicy or most exciting opportunity that we see in the fixed income markets would actually be in high quality Canadian corporate bonds with, let's say, maturities of up to about five, six years. And there's a few factors there. One, is the yield or like the income that you can earn from these types of bonds today is very attractive. Like you talked about, like, we haven't seen this type of opportunity and probably since, you know, post 2008. So 15 plus years, we haven't really had the opportunity, you know, there was no income in fixed income for so many years. Now that's back. The other interesting thing in the Canadian market is our high quality companies like like a CIBC bank, um, is trading at a discount to similar quality companies in the States. So you're getting a little bit more premium from the high quality Canadian companies. And obviously these high quality, you've got the security, you know, even if there are some bumps along the road in the economy. Personally, I'm not worried about the banks defaulting. It might hurt their earnings, but you've got that security that they're not going to default on their contractual bond obligations. And the other big thing is those shorter dated, kind of let's call it up to five-year bonds, they will be sensitive to interest rate cuts. So there's an opportunity for performance uh, from those interest rate cuts. So on top of an attractive yield, you've also got a decent amount of potential upside in the year ahead. Raj, just for our listeners so they understand, right now, between the,
0: the one and five-year range, we're looking at around a high three, low four interest rate. Is that, is that fairly accurate?
2: Um, right now in Canada, you're kind of uh, yeah, mid threes to low fours on the interest rate. But then you're also, when you're doing a corporate, you're getting a little bit of extra premium over the government. So you could be kind of in the mid fours to fives range.
0: Okay, so we're looking at just just the interest that you receive is in the four to five range. And then you mentioned about rate cuts happening possibly this year, in in three cuts uh, this year, and possibly more next year, depending upon how our economy is doing, what the Bank of Canada decides. What does that do for bonds? And why do, well, again, I'm sitting up, I'm getting excited here, because I want you to tell our listeners why this is an opportunity when there's a rate cut that could possibly happen in the magnitude that you see it
2: yeah so i think there i mean the simple reminder is always <clears throat> rates go down bomb prices go up so that's where the opportunity lies today is on top of that four to five percent yield you can earn in a rate cutting cycle you know there could be potential to get you know three four or five percent more out of that bond in the next year. And I think this is where I would kind of just, you know remind investors that you know, bond nerds like myself will get all excited about the little movements of, are they gonna go in May? Are they gonna go in July? But the reality right now is what's more important from an investor's perspective is there's a very high probability they cut this year. And once those cuts start to materialize, that's where we can start to see yields uh, or interest rates in that kind of two to five year part of uh, the curve start to come down. And that's where you get those excess gains from the bonds you own.
0: So if you just think about this, Leanna, from a growth perspective, let's not talk about an income perspective. From a growth perspective, you've already got, let's go in the range of four to 5% in interest we're receiving. And then there's rate cuts that are going to potentially happen in the second half of this year, the market's a little bit disjointed on how many and when. But let's let's talk about there's going to be a rate cut. Then you get an additional capital appreciation of, and then like Raj was saying, three percent or so. So you're in the you're in the six to nine percent range
1: mm-hmm.
0: of total return in the bond market.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and here's a question because we we work exclusively with people who are approaching or living in retirement, and bonds have maybe not been something that a lot of people have considered for their portfolios, and particularly on the growth side for the last several years. So what about it makes it more attractive for retirees right now?
2: Well, I think the, you know, to Faisal's point, that potential of, let's call it, mid to high single digit returns from bonds, you know, I think a lot of investors forget that's actually what the long run equity market returns you. You know, we get excited when we see up 20s and things like that. But the other thing for uh, retirees that's important is one okay, you now have a healthy amount of income you can earn. But let's say, for example, you know, we're not out of the woods yet, right? You know, we've had high interest rates and they do have a lagging effect. And there is the potential, like I said, for, you know, a harder landing than people want or expect right now. So the nice thing there is in that scenario where let's say the Canadian economy weakens more than we expect today, um, the central bank will be more aggressive with their cutting cycle. So it offers you also a bit of a hedge today, which as you talked about for so many years, when interest rates were so low, they really didn't have that protective or insurance quality, which they have today
0: here's what I'm going to do. Rarely do I do this in studio. I'm pounding the table. I'm pounding the table because here's what happens. When you're approaching or living in retirement and you want to secure some of your money or most of your money, the flight to safety goes to, generally speaking, in the Canadian market to GICs and savings accounts. Rarely, do investors or savers, let's use the word savers, go to the bond market to get their returns? Because the bond market has quote-unquote volatility, they don't want to see movement in their, in their dollar amount at any point in time. What you give up for that lack of volatility is you're going to get 3 to 4% interest in your GICs this year. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. But you're giving up double that return to get no volatility. And that's when, my words, my thoughts only, people are going to get pissed. Mm -hmm. Investors are going to come out and go, why didn't anybody tell me? And that's why I'm pounding the table. Raj, I'm pounding the table for this. I want you to reiterate the opportunity that people approaching and living in retirement have today by getting into a properly structured bond portfolio? What's the opportunity? Just throw out the numbers again so they have an idea coming from your lips to God's ears, the opportunity that's here right now.
2: Yeah, I think the opportunity right now is to make mid to high single-digit returns and really, again, with the benefit of having some insurance. And I think to your point, Faisal, the, the issue with staying in GICs, um, or high interest savings account is once the interest rates start getting cut and the Bank of Canada starts cutting or the Federal Reserve start cutting interest rates, the amount you're going to be earning just is going to go down and you've got no upside. Whereas at least with the bond market, if those interest rate cuts start to happen or when they start to happen, you'll get the upside from that. So overall, to your point, if you know, if you can put up with a little bit of bumpiness, you're getting a lot more bang for your buck. And I do anticipate now that hikes are off the table. And unless we see a reacceleration of inflation, which I don't think is a very high probability, um, I think there's, you know, really good money to be made right now in this market.
0: And there you have it. That's the opportunity. I think what people are missing out of that reinvestment risk when their GICs mature, when they get money out of their high interest savings account, they want to put it into another GIC. You're going to lose out on an opportunity, and so this is why we wanted to make sure that Algonquin Capital, Raj, your, your your team can talk about this. We want to thank you for joining us today.
2: No worries. Yeah, I think simple messages. You want to lock it in before it goes down.
0: There we go. Um, I'm getting a little bit excited here, Lena. We just pounded the table. Mm-hmm. We just talked about an opportunity. An opportunity that many Canadians need to explore, especially if you're transitioning to your living in retirement. But one question we have and that we get all the time on a regular basis from our listeners, how do you do it? How do you build that portfolio to seize the opportunities that you see globally? We call it the growth bucket.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Let's go through the steps. Let's actually open it up, share our secrets of what we do and why we've been able to help so many Canadians fulfill their goals on retirement when it comes to the investment side.
1: Well, and Faisal, you're the lead portfolio manager on the growth side. So maybe let's start with the things that you look at and consider when you're starting to set out what your strategy looks like.
0: Okay. Let's go with the first part of this. If you're sitting at home and you're doing this yourself, or you're working with a, an advisor, the number one thing you need to do is do the financial calculation of a, What's your lifestyle going to look like? And can the assets that you have support the lifestyle that you need? We call that a retirement plan, but there has to be the calculation need to be done. Step two, once you've established that and it's a it's a check mark, you can do it. Separate your, your assets into two different buckets to start with. Bucket number one, we call the income bucket. Do not invest in the stock market when you have money for income. This is money you set aside in different accounts from a tax efficient way. So that you can draw on on let's next one, three, five, ten years. We use 10 years in our example because it's the most efficient, has the highest probability of success, but let's go you can choose between one and 10 years. Okay. The rest of your money, their job, is to grow and replenish that income money, the money you just spent over the last one, three, five, or ten years. So that growth bucket has a specific mandate. Number one, you cannot take Huge amounts of volatility. So start off by looking at the global economy and understanding where the risks lie, where the opportunities lie, but focus on risk mitigation number one. You do not want to take big swings in your portfolio. Everybody loves the returns they see of the market. Nobody loves the volatility they receive in the
1: market. I'm going to throw this in there. If you... If you're thinking about not taking big swings, though, is it right to include things like GICs on the growth side of your portfolio? Possible.
0: Possible. I mean, and I'm not a big fan of GICs. You just heard in the last last uh, couple of episodes or uh, segments that we just did on why I'm pounding the table because I think bonds have a better opportunity than ever before, or at least in the last 15, 16 years. That being said, you now have to build the portfolio We use five pillars. When you look at all the pension plans around the world, they don't put all the money into one company or one index or one country. They diversify. And they diversify amongst five different areas. Number one is fixed income. GICs is part of that fixed income piece or bonds from around the world. Number two, as Canadians, you want to have some Canadian equities. Now you can decide which which companies are best for, suited for you. Number three is U.S. and international equities. We have to be humbled enough to know that Canada doesn't mean anything to the world, but the world means everything to Canada. And then there's two other pillars that are out there that people kind of just don't know about, haven't been exposed to, or just have not been uh, given that that opportunity to, to see it. One is alternative Trading investments and we just had a conversation with Algonquin capital and not only do they buy bonds But they sell short on bonds. They buy futures They're they're using an alternative way to trade To get the returns that they need without taking more risk. Mm -hmm. So that's that's an opportunity then there's alternative yielding Alternative yielding we called it alternative investments look at private credit private equity real estate, mortgages, structured notes, the the list goes on. That place is designed to minimize the volatility and give you market-like performance. So the challenge is, how much of your money do you put in each? How do you diversify globally? What individual investments do you put into your portfolio? And how much of a weight should you put into it? When we go through our portfolio mechanics, if we're going to buy a company let's say a big tech company, we have to understand that there is a said volatility in owning that company. Is it suitable? Can you handle the volatility? The more weight that you put into it, the more volatility you need to expect. And so you need to understand what volatility really means to you and literally count how much dollars are you willing to be down any point in time.
1: Well, and that's the other thing you get questions about every once in a while. Everybody loves the upside. They want to make money, they want to see the number goes up, but they never want to see that number go down. Or there are some people who have come out and been very explicit about the fact that I don't want to see the number in my portfolio go down. Is that a reasonable expectation if you're looking for long-term growth?
0: Anybody asking for better than GIC performance, but wants GIC security, is not seeing the world in, in reality. And I'll do respect to them. I understand what you want, but it's not reality. You will take on some risk. You will take on some volatility. Now it's volatility management, It's risk management. And so when I look at our portfolio on a daily basis, I look at the volatility and can we handle that? Let me give you an example. During, during the big drop uh, recently in the stock market. And I'll pick on the S&P 500 because it's the most diversified global index out there. So the S&P 500 fell 22%. Our portfolio wasn't even close to that. We were, we were less than 10%. So we're not taking stock market volatility, but we're getting stock market-like performance. Hmm. By having five pillars, by understanding how much weight you put behind each pillar, understanding your security selection, understanding the volatility and risk of that security selection, and the weighting of all those securities put together, build a portfolio. Here's what generally happens with individual investors or investors that are working with some of our peers. They put a collection of good ideas at the time, and they don't build a portfolio based on the overall exposure they go, hey, this company's good, let's throw it in there. Oh, hey, that company is good, let's throw it in there. How much do you put in? What kind of weight? What kind of risk? All that stuff needs to be adjust, addressed. And I think that's what's being missed. So when we build a portfolio, I'm making it sound easier than it really is. There's a lot of work in this. And we've built enough systems in our place over the 26 odd years I've been doing this. That's why I can make it sound so easy. It's not easy. But it takes a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And I think with the biggest piece, and I've talked about this Last show with Dave, and I think I'm going to say it again, no one measures risk until risk hits them in the face.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And so you've been working with clients. You've been having these conversations about volatility. It wasn't a very easy year last year. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of volatility. Mm -hmm. What are some of the, the reactions and some commentary you have around people handling the volatility?
1: There are some people who are totally fine with the volatility portion of it. But And there are others who don't like seeing that dollar value decrease. People always look at downside in dollars. So that's maybe something to think about. What dollar decrease can you withstand in your portfolio? That'll give you an idea of what your actual risk tolerance is.
0: Let's talk about risk and return and the opportunities of growth for your retirement at our upcoming seminars.
1: Our next seminar is in Lethbridge. It's on Tuesday, February 13th at the Sandman Signature in Lethbridge. The next in Calgary is on March 5th. And that is at the Carriage House in here in Calgary. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register.
0: That's it for another edition of More Than Money. On behalf of Leanne and myself, thank you for joining us on QR Calgary.